This week, Kate and I had a distinct privilege. We went to the Taste of Phoenixville. Raise your hand if you have ever been to the Taste of Phoenixville and had some of that delicious food. Um, really cool. We uh, ate unknown quantities of tiny bite-sized items. They're free and they're small. And they're hard to track. So you go to stand, you're ow, 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 eating and drinking, and it was great. I met the mayor. You know, he's like that big and boop. Stick him in your pocket. Lovely guy. Super nice. He's got ties to Australia, so we're like brothers. Sort of. And if you, honestly, if you Google the the mayor of the Gold Coast of Australia, and you put his photo right next to the mayor of Phoenixville, I promise you, they are like brothers. They're cousins. They're so close. That's great. Um, The Haithas played music. Their whole family is so talented. It is annoying. They can all sing and all play. They're like, let's bring out another Haitha. This is Grandma Haitha. She's going to break dance for us. She's in some sort of pose. Thanks, Grandma Haitha. I also tried for the very first time escargot, snail guts, and added something to my never eat list, which currently has things like bats, uh, wild bear, things that are living on it, and now there's escargot. Don't eat those. Okay, there's plenty of good stuff out there. We got to vote for the best thing. I just went straight down the middle. It was like steak and shrimp that was like flame roasted. It was amazing. It was great. So thank you to Paul for uh, preaching last week. He did a great job on unexpected beauty. Uh, Paul preached from Romans 5, 1 to 11, uh, and it was about peace and hope through the blood of Jesus. So amen to that. That is, uh, yeah, I mean, man, grace, Christianity 101 is fantastic. Thank you, Paul, for that. Um, And just as a reminder, we're two weeks into a series called Forward, uh, and it's all about moving from here to there into life that is truly life. That's what we're talking about. And obviously, we're all alive, and so the point is what we're talking about is how to live the life that God created for you and to achieve Everything that God wants you to achieve while we're here on earth. My key verse for today is Romans 5, 12 to 21. If you've got a Bible, you can start navigating there now. We're going to read it in a minute. It won't be on the screens. Sorry about that. So please turn there. Um, this verse is, is really cool. Uh, also known, this is a quote from Pastor Paul. The number one passage in the Bible for how the gospel changes lives. Number one. As I did some research this week, another well-known theologian said it was one of the most difficult and controversial passages to interpret in all of Pauline literature. So I just want to personally thank our lead pastor, Paul, for allowing me to preach this particular verse, most difficult of all passages ever passage, while he tackles the others, the rest of them. I don't know, maybe John 3.16 will be next week. John 11 is also available. It's two words, Jesus wept. One part series by Paul. I'll take care of this one, though. I'm glad he's laughing because I could lose my job. All right. Why is it so controversial? It's really controversial, you'll see, but there's a couple of big things in there that it says about us and about eternity that if you're, you get wrong, it's like a domino effect or a pyramid that was built with faulty foundations. It's just, it's not going to work. The rest of the Bible doesn't work. One of those concepts is original sin. And this is huge. There are billions of people 
in the world today that disagree on whether original sin is a thing. And they're smart people. They're writing books on either side of this issue. So it's a really big thing, original sin. And it basically says, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. And the flip side of that coin is free will. So that is where you settle. It's like if Adam sinned and we all sinned, what happens to free will? Hang on, I thought we had free will. But if Adam did it and we all did it, then we don't have free will. There's a lot of controversy on that particular issue. We're going to talk a little bit about it today, but we don't have enough time to really get super deep. So what I want to encourage you is to call someone that you like, sit down over a banana, take your time consuming the item, peeling slowly, discussing the flavor and consistency, and share your deepest thoughts with each other. Here we go. We're going to read Romans 5, 12 to 21. If you've got it on your device or in your Bible, it'd be great for you to read along with us. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace uh, grace of one man, Jesus, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation." But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespasses of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespasses, the uh, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, aka controversial topic. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin uh, reigned to death, reigned in death, so also great Grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. Um, Hopefully, uh, as you listen to those words and you uh, sort of pick out the big issues there, you can hear why it's such a controversial topic. They're, They're talking about sin, condemnation, grace, Jesus, eternity. It's like a mini Bible. There's everything in there. And you need to get those things right as you're reading the Bible. And we're Christ followers. We want to do what Jesus did. But if you get those ones wrong, your theology is not pretty moving forward. Because it's like, um, yeah, building something. You need to have a good foundation. All right, so here we go. First thing, in verse 12, it says, Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people. Translation, we're all dying. They did a study recently, and the results were that 100% of people are dying. And what that means 
is that unless you're living eternally, you're a descendant of Adam's. And that actually says a lot about you and me and us as humans. Unless you're going to say you're not dying, there are problems in your DNA. When you read the Bible, it talks about that problem. And that's original sin. It's known as death. Death is the fully formed version of sin. It's one of the the fallouts from the Garden of Eden. God gave them the command, don't eat the fruit of the tree in the middle, have all the rest. And it was an obedience issue and a pride issue and a whole lot of other issues. But Adam sinned and so did Eve. And we are descendants of theirs. And if we're dying, it proves it. And we all need to understand this in here today. This is critical. And this is a huge worldly thing that we need to be equipped with when we leave this place into the world which we love. We're not good. No matter how well behaved you are, you can obey all the rules. The Ten Commandments, you can make it 20 or 50 or 10,000 commandments. There were 600 Old Testament laws, but it has nothing to do with your works. The problem is the world believes it does. And so the world does this logical thing, which is not valuable in the Bible. The, the logic is there's a scale, a huge scale somewhere, and it's going to put bad stuff over here, and it's going to put good stuff over here, right? And on one side will be murderers and rapists and terrible people. Oh, well, we know what happens to those guys. On this side will be me, and I pay my taxes. You know, I have wine at appropriate events only, right? Not before 10 a.m., that's a hard rule. You know, we have this scale and we say, I'm not on that side, I'm on this side. And when the scale balances, baby, I won't be judged. The problem is, it is a lie and a deception. And guys, we all know in here today, the best deceptions are so close to the truth. It can't be a blatant lie or it wouldn't be believable. And Satan is super clever. So if he lies to us outright, it will be rejected. Because we are made in God's image, right? We know, we, we, can, we can discern, but remember what happened with Adam. The serpent deceived him, deceived him a little bit about what eating that fruit would do. And he did say, you're going to become more like God. And, you know, that was sort of, you know, in the ballpark of true, he was then going to understand evil, right? Which he didn't before because he was just all good. So it was a little bit true. The problem is it had this whole, came with this whole semi-trailer full of lies, which is death and pain and suffering and all creation is going to die from you after, pal. But you will be a little bit more like God in that you'll understand evil. See, it's a little bit, little bit true. And so Satan lies to us very, very slightly and that makes it digestible. And we try to earn our way into heaven every, every day. But Paul goes on to make it more clear. If you uh, scroll down or turn to verse 14, it says this. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. And those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God. He says it for you there. Those who did not disobey a commandment died. Okay, so now we have in the Bible, we're talking about people who were really, 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 really good, right? On that scale thing that you're bringing up, or that old mate's bringing up that doesn't understand what the Bible's asking us to do here on earth, they're great people. 
They haven't murdered anyone. They, they're, they're honoring their father and mother. They're doing the ten. Right? So if someone is saying that, we're going, well, it's in there. It's in verse 14 of Romans 5. And if you run that back, it's saying, even the people obeying the Ten Commandments are sinners. Why? They're dying. That's like the hallmark of a sinner. And Paul is referring to original sin. God had warned Adam in the day that he ate of the fruit that he would die, Genesis 2.17. And this referred to physical death, but also spiritual death. This is another controversial issue. There are two deaths. Yes, we're all going to die physically. The older you are in here, you are more and more aware of that. But spiritually, this is controversial as well. There'll be two deaths, okay, physical and spiritual. And if you read Genesis uh, on from that point, it's talking about, and he died, and he died, and he died, and they're all dying. And then the second death in Revelation 2, 20, and 21, it's the most explicit there. It's saying, yes, our flesh is fading away, but there is that additional death coming. That is a spiritual death. And that one is much more painful than the first one. And this is where that lie comes in. Because if someone is living on this earth and they they spend their physical time and they're going okay, they are good-looking, smart, polite, nice, generous. Let's just take all Ten Commandments and slide them over. We look at them as human beings. We go, they're going all right. They're going good. You can go good on earth. You can and you can succeed and prosper, there is where the lie is allowed to breed because the math still works. I must be going okay. People like me. I am honest. I am on time. I helped old lady across the street. But your spiritual death is still coming. And the I'm a good person, and then the logical thing is, and heaven is filled with good people. Also a lie. It's also a lie. It's not true. Heaven is not filled with good people. It's not what it's for. And that is a lie that the church needs to tell. That's how we be salt and light to the world outside the church. Just say, guys, it is not filled with good people. So even if you lose that argument over a coffee or a banana or at the basketball courts or whatever you do, you go right there. You go, guys, it's not filled with good people. Okay, you are a good person. The problem is they're not all going to heaven. True salvation, guys, and this is found only in Jesus Christ. Here's what it says. For it is by grace we are saved through faith. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. That's how you get saved. It's not of works. Not of works. What is it by? Grace. Through what? Faith. And I love it. I love it. I praise Jesus for it because I am a sinner. And when I was in college particularly, my life was in chaos. I needed grace, man, because my works were so terrible. I was just a doofus. Lying, cheating, stealing, pornography, getting drunk, man. I was the worst, best person you ever met. Still a nice guy. But going to hell. And I needed grace. I didn't need someone to do math for me. I know, I'm a doofus. And I needed grace. Let's forget about logic. Roman 5 disagrees with that. Let this sink in. Heaven is filled with greasy sinners. That's who's in heaven. Greasy sinners. 
It's not good people. Satan is telling you it's good people and telling your friends it's good people so we can try to earn it. Why? So we'd be filled with pride because we've done it. See the difference? I've achieved this, right? I don't lie. Pride. I don't have too many drinks. Pride. I'm faithful to my wife. Pride still. You're doing everything. I stopped smoking. I don't speed. I helped this guy up the other day once. Pride, because you are doing it. It's the wrong scale, and Satan loves it. You're on, you on the wrong track your whole life. Filled with pride. Greasy sinners need to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Your eternal address has nothing to do with what you're doing. It has everything to do with where your heart is and your mind is and how close you are to Jesus Christ when you die. Until you realize, guys, how bad things are for humanity, you cannot realize how great the gift of Jesus is. That is also for us as Christians. We won't tell many people about Jesus and about grace if we don't love it. If we don't wake up going, man, I am so lucky, lucky to be saved by the grace of Jesus. We won't share it. We're not pumped. It doesn't flow out of us. You know when things flow out of you, you are so excited to tell people about this thing, you just want them to stop talking so you can tell them the thing that you're excited about? Grace is like that. It should be like that. You have relationship with a greasy sinner and you want them to be telling you their stuff because you, you're in relationship with them, but you cannot wait for the moment to say, Jesus loves you, man. I love your Tesla, but Jesus loves you. He's filled with Grace. And he wants to save you because your works aren't getting you to heaven. And it should be on our tongues and on our hearts. Now, quick survey. Who in here has kids? Raise your hand if you have kids. Okay, keep them up. Raise your hand if you were once a kid. Okay, the rest of you are liars. Okay, point proven. Now, kids is where I'm going for a second. Between selfishness and sharing, which one did we have to teach? A child, two-year-old. Sharing. No one's teaching their kids selfishness. Remember, if there's three items and three kids, you take all three. Stop. No, 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 no. Do the math, son. You take all three. Our kid is just naturally generous. He just gives his stuff away. I'll tell you. He's just naturally patient. Watch this. Son, we're not having uh, breakfast until 4 o'clock p.m. today. Okay, mother. I'll just wait. No iPad today. Great idea. It's frying my brain. (laughs) Which one do we have to teach kids? Patience. Generosity. Love for people who don't treat you right. We have to teach those because the others are hardwired into a two-year-old who's just operating on instinct. And that tells you the heart of man. I'll tell you a story. One of our boys was two years old. I'll call him Caleb because that's his name. (laughs) He was two, right? And the night before, Kate made some cupcakes and all the kids were helping slash throwing all the ingredients all over the kitchen while Kate you know, made the cupcakes. They made the cupcakes, put some like beautiful white frosting on the top and it was like a chocolate one and 
You have to put these things in the fridge overnight, apparently. I know nothing about cooking or baking. I'm the consumer of the house. They made them, put them in the fridge. We all went to bed, right? And then the next morning at like, oh, dark, super early, Kate and I hear this like, we're like, what's going on? Who's doing what? You hear the fridge open. And you can hear the rustling around in the fridge. The cupcakes are being removed. Okay? And we both sort of had a smile. We look over to the, who's in the fridge? Anyway, a couple of seconds later, Caleb comes into our room. He's too white frosting, mustache. You know, he's got like the full goatee. And he's, he's literally... We're like, we actually videoed it. I was going to show the video, but that's like really bad. Because we knew what was going on. He, we're like, Caleb, did you eat a cupcake? Nope. <laughs> nope. And we're laughing. You know, you can hear Kate's giggling. We're like, then what's all over your mouth? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> He's dusting his hands off. He's got white frosting all over his mouth. And I guarantee, we never taught him that. He did the math in his own mind. I shouldn't have done this. My parents have caught me. Just say no. He's lying, right? We have to teach honesty. We have to teach honesty because he's a human. Original sin, guys. Heaven is not filled with good people. It says in John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And guys, I'm going to ask you a challenging question at GVF, but also for the wider church. Do we have enough greasy sinners at church? Maybe we do. But I'm asking the question, if you looked around, you don't have to now, like look at your neighbor, there's one. Do we have enough actual, still currently greasy sinners in our midst? When I look around, I see mostly polished people who I love, and I am one. Okay, it's not a judgment, but I see mostly polished. Okay? Bit of K-Love on the radio. Yeah. Fridge stocked with LaCroix. Yeah. Glug, glug, glug. Big nights on the LaCroix. You got the safe search enabled on Google. Keep you out of trouble. That's great. That's what we want. But we also need greasy sinners to, to be a salt and light to. We need people to, number two, number one, we need them. But number two, we need them to feel welcome in this place. Otherwise, what the heck are we doing? If they feel repelled and they feel like our doors are closed, what are we doing? We need them if we're following Jesus. We need known sinners who are in the midst of their sin to understand how great, amazing grace is. I love who I'm looking at. Fellow soldiers, small group leaders. But we need to be pulling these people into church. I wish I saw more riffraff. All right, quick problem of original sin. The quick problem. I'm going to show you a photo on screen of an aquarium. Okay, there it is. It's not my aquarium, it's Google's aquarium. Original sin sort of combats free will. And people like to say, well, if I have sin from the womb, I don't have free will because I'm going straight to hell unless I make a decision. What you're forgetting and what people often forget is God's knowledge is so much higher than ours, it's not even funny. He is so much more aware of who you are than you are, it is not even close. And I want to use 
a aquarium photo. I used to love aquariums. Always had an aquarium. It's before we had kids. Um, when you feed fish, what do they do? You sprinkle food on the top. Where do they go? To the top. Not a trick question. They come up to the top. But what happens as you get to know your fish, some of them get sick. Right? So you sprinkle food and one's got, let's say, a spot on his fin. He's got a bit of slime on him. He's not coming. He's sick. I know this. I'm the boss of the fish. I know when a fish is sick. I can predict when one's coming and one's not. Because I know when they start getting discolored and their fins don't, they're not particularly perked. They're saggy. They're not coming because they're sick. I'm not making the fish not come, but I know what he's going to do because I'm smarter than a goldfish. Darn it. I won't back off that, you guys. That is uncompromisable. But you see what I'm saying? I'm not controlling their free will to eat or not eat. I'm not making them die. Eat. Some of those fish that I used to have, they used to eat their babies. They'd have babies, tiny little guppy babies. <laughs> oh, food. I know what they're going to do before they do because I'm wiser than my fish. I can predict what they will do naturally. They'll come or they won't come. Even we would put a fish in to uh, breed to make other fish. And you know when they're going to breed because you did it for that reason. God is so much wiser than we are. He knows what your decision will be before you make it. Free will exists with the knowledge of what you're going to choose. They both exist. So yes, there's original sin, but we can still be saved from it. And it has to be our choice. Because God knows us. Guys, I'm going to conclude with three points. These are takeaway points. If your neighbor's been sleeping up till this point, it's time to nudge them. Time to wake and take notes. So it looks like you've done something for church. Three points. The first one, amazing grace. This is where I started the sermon. This is where it finishes. Remember, amazing grace. Many Christians fail to realize the depth and breadth of the grace that they've been given. Were you born into a free country? Grace. Are you here today with a family member that loves you? Grace. Do you have a past that you want to stay there and a future that is bright? Grace. Have you ever done the wrong thing, lied, cheated, stolen, lusted, drank too much, judged, hated, or worse? Amazing grace has been extended to you. You got kids? Come on. Grace. We know all about giving grace and we love them so much we would die for them. There is grace spilling out over kids. Are you of sound mind and healthy body? I mean, really, let's get physical. You didn't do that. Your heart beated last night. Someone else making it happen, right? Someone else digested your food, hydrated your eyeballs for you. It's all happening because God made a great body. You're not doing that. It's grace, guys. It's amazing. And don't take it for granted. Christ loved you and blessed you before you were a polished person in church. Okay? We need to make sure we're getting the unpolished. We inherited sin and we gave it over to Jesus and said, fix me. And we need to let other people experience that same grace. That's point one. Amazing grace. Remember it. Point two. Change. Change. Just one word. The second point is just change. When you experience amazing grace, you will change. You will change. It's not to earn his love. 
You're not trying to say to God or Jesus, look what I've done, I'm changed. That's not getting your salvation, but it will flow out of you when you've given your life to Christ. You will start to change because of grace, because you love him so much. It's like exercise. When you exercise, sweat flows out of you. When you're doing it right, you're working hard. Sweating as evidence, you are working hard. There is sweat to prove that you're working hard. You will change, whether it's big, little, whatever, when you love Jesus, just because you love him. You're not earning it. You're just doing it. It happens. It's cause and effect. It's a good sign. It's the same with uh, your walk with other people around you. You might change the people that you talk to. And I'm not saying you'll talk to more sinners or less, but you might change some of that. Maybe your internet history might start to look a bit different. Maybe your sarcasm fades away a little bit, right? Maybe you smile more or yell less, a little bit of a change. When amazing grace hits your heart the way it's meant to, your life will change as evidence of it. Your selfishness will have to go away. You will never be perfect, right? We're never going to be perfect. But people will see fruit in your life that wasn't there before because you're walking to the beat of a different drum because you know that grace has got your back. Point three, this is my last point, and I think my favorite one, seek the sick. Seek the sick. Guys, this is so basic and so complex, so easy and also worthy of a lifetime's pursuit. Seek sick people. Forget about whether the Sabbath is on Saturday or Sunday, whether you drink grape juice or wine. Those are such ridiculous things to worry about. Forget about speaking in tongues or not. Forget it for now. We need greasy sinners. We need people who are sick. That's what Jesus was looking for. And if you missed it, you didn't read the Bible very closely. Jesus was on a mission, laser-focused, to find sick people and set them free. He didn't shuffle quietly from temple to temple. Oh, I love God. You love God. Let's all stick together because we all love God together. He sought sick people. Great examples of this are the leper, a prostitute at the well. Matthew, the tax collector, was a cheating, lying dude. Zacchaeus, the pocket rocket, and the murderous, hate-filled Saul. These are the guys that they're looking for. Saul was confronted on the road to Damascus and changed his life. And I would suggest that Paul probably changed your life. And we're talking about him today. He's a greasy sinner. And he understands amazing grace. Even Jesus' first miracle, the very first miracle of the Bible, in John chapter 2, he turned water into wine. And just, we could do a whole nother sermon here. I promise I won't start that at this stage. At the wedding they were at, they were all out of wine, a.k.a. they're drunk. They're wasted. And his first miracle was turning six stone jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons of wine, of water, into wine. So the math is he made 125 gallons of wine for drunk people. Hey, this guy made 125 gallons of wine for us. I love this guy. And Jesus, no, I love you. No, I love you, man. Where all that wine come from? Your heavenly father loves you. Not as much as I love you, brother. 
Imagine, you know, what goes with being drunk? There's foul language. There's people falling all over each other. There might be people having sex somewhere. They shouldn't be. Jesus is at that place because it's filled with greasy sinners. He doesn't want to drink wine. He doesn't want them to get drunk, but he does want to see them in heaven. So maybe the next day, old mates, oh man, that was a big night last night, wasn't it, Jesus? It was. I want to talk to you about the rest of your life, brother. Right? It's a, it's a, a launching point. Jesus is care. He wasn't withheld from heaven because I guarantee junk people have been the same for thousands and millions of years. He wasn't corrupted because they were. He went there on a salvation mission to get people into heaven. He gave them what they wanted because he got what he wanted, which is a handshake, a hug, maybe a, a hair hold as they're vomiting up their night. Jesus loved sinners, you guys, and so do we. Here's what it says. Jesus put it this way. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We also need to find the sick. And who are the sick? I don't, I mean, it's going to vary. We're all missionaries. You know sick people. And I would bet that they're not here. Maybe they are today. I could be eating my words for, for some of us. But the sick aren't here. I'm going to say some words that's going to make us feel uncomfortable. We have outcasts in our culture today. And I'm done with this, I promise. Outcasts. I'll list a few. Here we go. Lesbians. Gays. Drunks. Adulterers. Active. Porn addicts. Drug addicts. Thieves. Known felons. Someone with a tattoo on their face. Maybe it's a gun or a tear or... They need Jesus. Why don't we have more around? Why? Why can't we? We need to be. Maybe they are here. Again, I don't want to misspeak because we're missionaries. And if you have anyone in your life who is so far from Jesus, they'll never hear about Jesus. It's your job. Then that's you. You're up. We need to love these people. All those people I just mentioned need a hug. They probably need a shoulder to cry on. They need grace. They need to understand that grace is not by works. You don't like their lifestyle, let's say, but they understand grace when you're done talking. That's allowed. Okay. See where I'm going? We feel a little bit uncomfortable when we think about populating our church with greasy sinners. But man, do we need to love them because Jesus did. I'm not up here to condemn anybody. I'm here to speak the truth. And Jesus was here looking for sick people. And we need to be here looking for sick people. We need to bring them in here. We need to be known as a church filled with so much love and grace that, man, they want to come in and not stay out. We need to be known for salvation and love and grace. Jesus loved slave trader John Newton, evangelist Billy Graham, singer Dolly Parton. He loves the guy that runs the drive-thru beer shop in town. He loves your neighbors, loves you, loves me. Miley Cyrus, Donald Trump. We all need Jesus. The most powerful thing you can do for one of your friends is make sure they understand grace. And guys, if you don't understand grace or you have never received the grace of Jesus, today is your day. You're here. If you are one of those people who feels like a sinner and you know your works are never going to get you into heaven, I want to encourage you to come up the front today and pray to receive the grace of Jesus. Why not? Why not today? What are you waiting for? And if you've done it before and you want to confess or cry, we are a welcoming church. We can handle sin because Jesus can redeem anybody. 
Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come into this place with our hands open, our sin evident. Lord, we don't hide away from the fact that we need grace to get into heaven. Lord, we are a church that loves you. We are a church that humbly thanks you for saving us from ourselves. God, I pray if there is anyone in here today that does not understand grace and the difference to grace and works, I pray that they'd come up the front today. They'd be bold. Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he went out and touched a leper so we would know that he wants to touch sick people. God, I pray that we would know someone sick in our lives and we would have the courage, the gusto to touch them. To just say, do you know, brother or sister, that Jesus loves you? And we let the chips fall where they may. They, they laugh, they mock, they run, or they start crying and they need a hug from that point on. I pray for courage at GVF. God, thank you for loving me, setting me free from my sin. Thank you for redeeming me and everyone else up here who's got an instrument in their hand, Lord, has been redeemed by Jesus. It is by grace we are saved through faith. And Lord, thank you for GVF, a place where we can talk openly about salvation and love. I pray that all would feel welcome here. In Jesus' name, amen.